Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. All right, we're hearing God's Word this morning from John chapter 12. Uh, I'll be reading verses 12 to 36. Uh, if you've been here, uh, you know we've been going through John, and so in, in John we're getting... Uh, things, things are happening. There's lots of conflict. There's lots of things going on. But the most recent thing that happened right before this was that Jesus and uh, Jesus had a dinner. Uh, he was hosted for a dinner by Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus had rose from the dead. And so we talked last week about, and that's when Mary came in, and she anointed Jesus with this expensive perfume, showing worship in the very face of death. The Pharisees are seeking to put Jesus to death because he's causing all kinds of problems for them, and they don't like that. And in the face of death, they have a dinner, and they worship Jesus. And then, as you might expect, uh, there's things happen. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 12, verses 12 to 36. This is, starts out as what sounds like a very familiar passage. This is the, what we call the triumphal entry, what we often talk about on Palm Sunday. But then you'll find uh, that it goes a different direction than it does in some of the other gospel accounts. So I want you to think about that and wonder why. What is the significance of what John is saying? What is the significance that he was trying to communicate? What is the significance for us today? This is John chapter 12, starting at verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. 
He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you uh, gave this word so long ago. Thank you that it was written down and preserved for us. We pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, this word would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our lives, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we live. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I was talking with with Nathan and my son Nathan a few weeks ago, and he told me that I have, I have failed to properly use sufficient illustrations from the Lord of the Rings. And this is every pastor's dream to be say, you need more Lord of the Rings illustrations. So in the Lord of the Rings, um, you know, in the, in the two towers, the people of Rohan have fought a battle and the battle has been finished and they're kind of trying to figure out what do they do next? And they know there is more battle against a greater power. They could go and help the nation of Gondor, but that's kind of far away. There's kind of a lull in the action. What are we going to do? And then something happens. Aragorn, uh, the, the hero Aragorn, who kind of wants Theoden, King of Rohan, to get on with it, he's, he's trying to convince him, but he hasn't really succeeded. And he's sitting out outside the fortress, and he's looking to the east, and he sees fires. He sees fires along the mountains. And these are the beacons. These are the, the communication beacons of Gondor that Gondor lights when they need aid from Rohan. And he sees them being lit across the mountains from far, far away. And he runs into the room and he says, the beacons are lit. The beacons are lit. Gondor calls for aid. And then it turns to the king, the king of Rohan, and he looks at him. He says, and Rohan will answer. And you know that something has happened. This is big. And then they all go out and they get their weapons and they're marching and they're gathering the horses and they're buckling everything up and they're going off to war. They're going off to battle. They're going off to glory. That's what we, when it thrills our hearts. This is what we want. And here in, in John chapter 12, there's a similar feeling of excitement, of a turning point, of a climax. As two things happen here that make it a climax. One is that Jesus is entering Jerusalem and being hailed as king. And so if the, if the Pharisees were concerned, as they were a few weeks ago, uh, that Jesus was going to be a king and take their position and a, 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 bring out the, the, the wrath of the Romans against them for rising up as a king, well, it's happening. Now he comes in a king. But the other one is a little more subtle. This is in, in verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Alejandro and I were, were studying this this week, and we both looked at this and we were like, the, the Greeks have come. The Greeks have come to see Jesus. This is a big deal. Because if the Greeks want to see Jesus, that means the nations are coming to see God's true Messiah. The whole hope, the whole mission of God's people in the Old Testament was to be a light to the nations. And the promise was that their new king, 
their great king, the Messiah that would come, would bring not just the restoration for the people of Israel, but would bring all the nations together in worship of God's true king and of the one true God. And we saw this uh, a couple weeks ago again when Jesus commented that, that he, or when, when John commented that Jesus would die for all the people of God throughout the world. And so the, the nations are coming together. Something big is happening. We also see it here that it is filled with the language of glory. Glory, Father, glorify your name. Jesus is about to be glorified. Glory, glory, glory. So the question here is, what, what is the glory? What is going to happen? We're expecting the king to ride out like Theoden, king of Rohan, to strap on the swords, to saddle up the horses, and go out to victory and glory and battle. But what does Jesus say instead? He says, truly, verse 24, after he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And again, in verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by, by what kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus says, yes, the climax is coming. The hour is here. It's time for glory. And the main thing about God here is that Jesus' glory is in sacrifice. That's what he says. The glory is in sacrifice. And he says that if we, his followers, want to share in that glory, which we should, we should want to share in his glory, but that we must follow his downward path. The main thing about God is that the glo Jesus' glory is in his sacrifice. The main thing we need to do is to follow in his downward path. But that's a problem for us, because that's not what we think glory is. See, our big problem is that we want to see Jesus on our own terms. That's our problem here. Is that, and, and we see it with the Greeks. It's a beautiful line in verse 21. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Isn't that great? Did they see Jesus? No. The Greeks don't get mentioned again. It's kind of way, the Greeks came. Where did they go? Did they get to see Jesus? We don't know. We don't, I, I don't want to judge them too harshly, but I know for many of us, we say that we want to see Jesus, but we want to see the Jesus we want. We want to see the Jesus that will go out to victory. We want to see the Jesus like the crowd says in verse 34. Um, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? We want the King who is here, who is visible, whom we see. That's what we are looking for. That's what we, that's our, our main problem is we want to see Jesus on our own terms. We want to define what glory looks like for ourselves. We want earthly glory, the things that we are conditioned to see. But what we have to realize is that Jesus' glory is in sacrifice. And so to follow him is to follow the downward path of sacrifice. So that's, that is the main point here. This is the main story for us is that Jesus' glory is in sacrifice. So briefly, to understand that a little bit more, is to see three aspects of what it means to follow in that sacrifice. The first is that we have to accept his leadership. The second is that we have to reject the lies of the world. And the third is that we have to seek service and sacrifice. 
I got some alliteration on the third one, but I didn't, I didn't get them to line up. I'm sorry. But I do have the mystery bag. So, you know, there is that. It's coming. Accept his leadership. Reject the lies of the world. Seek service and sacrifice. So first, to accept his leadership. If he says that this is the main thing about God, that he defines glory as sacrifice, we have to accept that. We have to accept that that is the right definition of glory. But that's hard for us. Why is that so hard for us to accept Jesus' definition of glory? The first part that's hard for us is because to accept his leadership means accepting that we need him. Because his leadership, his sacrifice, was for our sins. That's what he said. He said that when he is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. And it's kind of, it's kind of funny here, this, this word lifted up. He says it a couple times in John, and the people really don't get it. Because lifted up should be exalted, raised high to glory. It, it fits perfectly with the language of glory and exaltation and kingship. He's going to be lifted up. But they kind of get that there's something different here. It's like, well, are you going somewhere? And what Jesus clearly meant is that he would be lifted up on the cross. And why is he lifted up on the cross? He's lifted up on the cross because we are sinful. So to accept his leadership means to admit something about ourselves that we don't always want to admit. We don't always want to admit. We never want to admit it, right? We never want to admit that we're sinful. We never want to admit that we need a rescuer. We want to be the one who can do it on our own. We want to be perfect. We want to have done everything right. But we, we haven't. So we have to accept his leadership, accept that his leadership is sacrificing for our failures. It's the only place we can start with an honest assessment of where we are. And so that, that's the first thing. We have, to, we, have to, we have to confess our sins. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never accepted his leadership, that's the starting point, is to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me? I believe that you died for my sins. I want to be forgiven. That's the fundamentally what makes you a Christian, is to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If you've put your faith in Jesus and you've confessed Christ, you've said you're a Christian, you're part of the church, you're walking with him, confession is still a daily part of our lives. We continue to struggle with sin, and we, it is right to admit that and acknowledge that and confess that to one another. Say, I'm not doing it right. I need God to forgive me daily. I need you to forgive me. To believe in Jesus, we have to confess our sins. That's the, how we accept his leadership, how we fall in behind him. But then the next two points are what does it mean? What does that look like to fall in behind him, to walk in that path? Once we've accepted his leadership, okay, we're in line. We have to reject the lies of the world. You may have missed this. It went by kind of quickly. But in verse 31, it said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out which is kind of interesting because we, we generally can kind of just read over this, oh, Jesus is going to die, especially if you've grown up in church, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, like you, you know that, okay, Jesus lift it up, he dies for my sins, great. But that's not all that he did. He says this is glory, this is kingship, this is victory. It makes sense in the context of kingship. If Jesus is coming as king, he is going to cast out the existing ruler of the world. 
And so what Jesus is saying is that by His death, by being lifted up on the cross, He is, in fact, being glorified. It's not like this was a surprise for Him to not be king. No, He is king. The kingship is on the cross. The throne is the cross. And so the, the ruler of this world, Satan, the prince of darkness, the one behind all the evil and badness and sin in this world, he is being cast out by Jesus' death on the cross. And so if Jesus has cast out the ruler of the world, then we have to follow him in rejecting the lies of the world. We have to follow that. And this is what, and so you got to think, what, what is the world telling us? The world that is telling us that what it means to be successful, that we need a certain amount of money, a certain lifestyle, a certain set of friends, a certain job, all these things that we have to have in place, that we need to be happy, that we need to assert our own rights, that we need to stand up for ourselves and get what is ours, what we are entitled to. So many of our, of our contemporary debates and flashpoints and tension points in our society come from asserting our rights. I'm going to hold on to what's mine. And Jesus says to lay those down, to lay down our rights. He says, don't hold on to those things too tightly. So he says he's cast out the ruler of the world. But then back in verse 25, um, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's kind of shocking, right? Whoever hates his life. What is Jesus saying? Is he saying that all the things of this world are totally bad? I don't think he can be saying that because God created the things of this world. I think God gave us food and drink and friendships and families and all the good things we enjoy in this life. Those are gifts from God. So I don't think he's saying that we need to go and, and reject all of those completely, but he's saying in comparison. And this is important because it gets repeated in all four Gospels. Every, all the disciples got this, that Jesus said, you got a, some version of, in comparison to eternal life and life with God, you need to hate your life. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying to hold on to life loosely. What's in the bag? What's in the bag? You know what's in the bag? This is fun. It's Jello. Jello's in the bag. This is gonna make a mess. I love it. All right. So that's why I brought a, brought a plate and a napkin up here. You know what I love about Jello? It's it's yummy, right? Jello's yummy. Am I holding it in my hand right now? But my hand's kind of loose, right? Holding it loosely is gonna stay in my hand. What's gonna happen if I try to hold on to this Jello too tightly? What's gonna happen if I hold on? Oh, oh, oh! Yeah, the jello. It just slipped through my fingers when I held on to it too tightly. All right, I'm going to need some more napkins. Sorry, I brought some, but that, that's not going to. Somebody, I need a napkin. Um, so, the jello, this is life. If we hold on to life too tightly, it, go, it, it falls apart if we hold on to this life. But if we hold it loosely, we can enjoy it. We can enjoy the sugar of it, we can enjoy the sweetness of it. We can enjoy the good things that God has given us. But if we hold on to them too tightly, they slip through our fingers. So we reject the lies of the world. We hold on to them loosely. Thanks. <laughs> but 
Practically speaking, what does this mean? We need to pay attention to who we're listening to. Who are the friends that we're surrounding ourselves with? What kinds of things do they like? Are we surrounding ourselves with friends, no matter what your age, whether you're young or old or somewhere in between? Are you surrounding yourself with friends who will encourage you and push you along the right path to love and follow God? What news are you listening to? What is it telling you? Is it telling you a certain lifestyle you need to have? Is it telling you you need to assert your rights? Is it telling you you need to be very afraid of other people, whoever those people may be? Lots of news is telling you to be afraid. And Jesus says, do not fear. You need to pay attention to who we are listening to so we can reject the lies of the world and hold on to life loosely. What does it look like then when we reject the lives of the world? The other part of verse 25, we hate our life. Whoever loves his life, loses it. Whoever hates his life, that's what we're supposed to do, in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So once we reject the lies of this world, the flip side is that we seek service and sacrifice. That is the life that Jesus is calling us to, a life of service and sacrifice, where we, give, we, we voluntarily give up our rights for the protection of others, for the service of others, for the happiness of others. We wake up each morning and we say, what can I do today to serve others, to not think about myself first, to think about loving and serving others, starting with the people who are closest to me, what does it look like to do good to my spouse? What does it look good to do good to my friends, to my parents, to my children, to my coworkers, to my neighbors? What does that look like for each of us to look around and start each day saying, I'm not worried about myself. And this is protection. You can't lose a life that you're not trying to hold on to. And so if people look at you and say, but, but what about all the money? What about the fancy cars? What about the best houses? And you say, I don't care. I really don't care, so you can't take it from me. The world has nothing to take from you if you're not trying to hold on to it. You're just holding it loosely. And see, the other thing about Jell-O, I mean, it falls apart if you grab it too tightly, but at the end of the day, it tastes good, but it's not very filling, is it? It goes down real easily, but it doesn't, it doesn't last. The life that Jesus is calling us to is not a life of jello. It's a life of steak. Steak is tough sometimes. I mean, not tough. You know, you got to work at it a little bit. It takes more time to prepare. You got to put it on the grill just right. You got to season it. You got to cut through it. But man, it's good. And here's the thing. It's not just trade now for trade later. It's jello life for steak life. That's what Jesus says when he said here, there in verse 25, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He didn't say you're going to have a miserable life now and it's going to be better later. He said you're getting a better life now. If you try to hold on to the jello that you think is good, it's gone. It's going right through your fingers. But if you leave that jello aside, hold that loosely and really focus on the steak, it's going to be better starting now lasting for eternity, because it's real, and it's in Jesus' kingdom. It's in the light. You're sons of light. He is showing you the path. 
So what, it, what are we taking away from John here? Jesus redefines glory for us. His glory is in his sacrifice. We follow his downward path. We accept his leadership, realizing that we're sinful. We need him to lead and save us. We reject the lies of the world. We seek service and sacrifice. We hold our jello loosely. We trade it in for steak. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus walked this path before us. We thank you that he did not just walk the path and then say, try it out, but that you gave us your spirit to empower us to walk with him. That it is by his sacrifice that we have the power to do anything. Would you give us lives of glory, lives of glory going downhill? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.